From the University of Alberta Alumni Association, it's What the Job. I'm Matt Ray. For me, when I hit a wall, I go back and I, I think of music, the music that resonated with me, the music that I still think in my head. I go back and listen to it, and then I remember, oh yeah, that's why I wanted to do this. It's it's what it's what stirs that emotion, that vulnerability, that beauty, the thing, the passion, the thing you care about. And I think following what makes you excited or interested helps get you to the core of what it is that you dream about. My guest on this episode of What the Job is film and TV composer Amritha Vaz. Amritha has composed music for a number of films and TV shows, including the score for current Disney series Mira Royal Detective. We discuss a number of topics, including her career journey from human rights attorney to composer, the challenges of creating art on a deadline, and how storytelling is at the heart of what she does. What the Job is made possible with the support of our affinity partner, TD Insurance. Did you know that through the TD Insurance Mellish Monarchs program, University of Alberta alumni are entitled to preferred rates on car, home, condo, and renter's insurance? Save even more by bundling your car and home insurance. To learn more about how you can save, please visit tdinsurance.com slash alumni. So what's your name and what's your job? My name is Amritha Vaz, and I am a film and TV composer. And how long have you been composing for film and TV? Uh, probably since 2007. Um, so I'll let all the mathematicians do the math. Uh, <laughs> I think it's 14. I think that's 14 years. <laughs> Matt, you did great. You did great. I'll give you some more basic math to do later. Yeah. Uh, it was a trick question. arithmetic I can do and that's about it so okay so 14 years as a film and tv composer and um what what, how many things have you worked in I'm kind of curious about the pace of this sort of job like are you always on the go with multiple projects or do they sort of trickle in I think you know it depends what stage you are in your career and and what kind of composer you are and your philosophy on on work I think to build a career in this field you have to um, you know, part, part of it is theory. So part of it, yeah, sure. You know, you, you could go to school. Uh, there are lots of great universities that offer programs in film composing or TV composing or compo- classical composing. Um, but, but in terms of the, the, the genre of film and TV, uh, you know, you could go the academic route, but the actual practical um, work of being a composer is is something that you have to immerse yourself in and i think the only way you 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 get better at it is by doing the hours you know the whole ten thousand hours philosophy i'm I'm a big believer in that and i think that for for in order to build up those um you know to build up your chops to really have hone your craft the more you do the better you get and um so i think you know at the beginning you're saying yes as much as you can to every project because uh, that's making connections, that's building your credits, that's honing your craft. Um, but I also think, you know, again, depending on where you are in your life, uh, if you have a partner, if you have a child, you know, these are all things you have to juggle because none of these things uh, are, are fast. They all take your time and your energy. Uh, in my career right now, I am uh, working on an animated TV show. That's a lot of minutes of music. Uh, it's, a, it's a tight turnaround. It's a, it's a network show, which means 
we have deadlines every two weeks. So you really have to you just churn, 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 work hard. And uh, so there's not a lot of space to take on multiple projects unless you build out a team and then you start, you know, bringing your team on and, and outsourcing some of your work. Um, there's lots of people who have different philosophies like that. Hans Zimmer is the most famous, you know, uh, has, a, has a big team of people. And so he's able to take on, you know, multiple projects, multiple huge projects. Uh, there's, there's other composers who have other philosophies. They decide they're going to just do one project really well and, and maybe have a life balance. Uh, but where's the fun in that, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I have so many questions about like the creative process of trying to write music for a show within a two week period. But I want to get on that 10,000 hour thing because <laughs> I'm fascinated by this because you weren't a composer first, right? Like your career path did not start in music, right? No. Well, my career path, I guess, did start in music per se. But my idea of uh, or what, what, you know, was exciting to me was performance. Um, and, uh, you know, specifically classical music. I started as a, um, you know, my mom and dad worked really hard and they got me music lessons. So I got to take violin and piano. Um, and I started to be kind of a real nerd in that department. I did the Kiwanis music festivals and, um, you know, I, I went out to, um, oh gosh, I'm trying to remember. There was a little camp in, uh, British Columbia that I went to and I did orchestra, um, at Victoria High School, I did um, a year there, even though I was in the Catholic school system, I went to Victoria School for their after school, I'd get on the bus and uh, go to uh, do orchestra for them. And then I joined the uh, youth orchestra at the university and um, then, you know, entered the University of Alberta. Um, so I started as a, primarily my focus was performance. That's all I thought music was to me. And I started to develop dentinitis at 16. And I, you know, kind of took it as how badly do you want this? You know, like anything, you just work harder, right? You just practice more, maybe you ice a bit, but you're gonna get through this. You just have to work harder. And that was always my philosophy. And this was the first time I sort of hit a place where working harder actually wasn't the solution. It was probably part of the problem because a repetitive strain injury doesn't just go away. You have to be very vigilant and sometimes your body doesn't cooperate. So I discovered that it was an injury that was keeping me back. You know, you, you do about eight, nine hours of practice a day in, you know, university just for, you know, probably just to keep up with the basic workload. And that was just destroying me. I couldn't eat. I couldn't get dressed. My hands, you know, opening doors. This was all so difficult for me. So I think there was a part where my parents were like, okay, um, you know, is there something else you can do? Um, and I still really wouldn't consider composing. I mean, composing didn't seem, that wasn't, that wasn't what I loved and it didn't translate as music. Plus it also didn't seem attainable. When I thought of composers, I thought of these incredible classical heroes who I couldn't imagine, you know, like touching their feet, Never mind, you know, entering that realm of writing music. It just seemed so far away and honestly, so inaccessible. So, um, I, I went to my more obvious choice of uh, pursuing social justice because that was another passion of mine. And so I uh, switched programs. Uh, but before I did, I went to India for a year and I studied Indian classical music because that was sort of my transition. Like maybe this would work for my arms, do a different approach to performance. So I, um, I studied in India and it was better because you're sitting on the ground, it's a different technique. At least I was, I was studying South Indian classical training. Um, but it didn't go away. And so I think I just sort of realized, okay, I need to, I need to 
to change gears here. And so, yeah, so I followed my, my next passion, the passion that I was really excited about. And I went into poli sci and I loved political science. Um, you know, it just, it was, it wasn't as thrilling as playing live music, but there was something else that it triggered. I, I did really care about, um, you know, I was passionate about, um, about potentially making a change in the world. And I felt like politi studying political systems, understanding how people, um, you know, solve problems uh, was, was, a, was a cool path. So I went down that road and it just continually led to more and more interesting paths for me. Um, plus, I was also thinking, what can I do with a poli-sci degree? Uh, you know, th there, there's a certain number of paths available. And in terms of change making, one could be a teacher, you know, one, one could uh, be like as an actual teacher in schools, one could be a professor, um, one could be an academic, write books. Um, but I kind of wanted to have a practical application. And in my, my mind, that was law, uh, you know, because aren't lawyer doers, they're, they're doers, they get stuff done. So um, I, I went off and I also felt like that was a tangible skill. Like if you're going to help people, you know, what is it that I could do to serve? And, and you know, writing a paper didn't seem like it would be as powerful as potentially, you know, helping people manage or, you know, uh, like maneuver through a legal system or legal battle. So yeah, so went off and did law. Um, there was a degree in between there that I didn't mention is the master's in international development studies. Because again, I felt like I needed to really understand and comprehend sort of the uphill battle uh, developing countries had. Um, uh, and so, yes, yeah, so I went off and just really immersed myself in the academic world. Um, and uh, it's so far removed now from music. Music was so in the background, like it was no longer a thought. I really did think my future was maybe the United Nations and, um, uh, you know, working, working for Human Rights Watch, you know, that sort of place where you could be working with a nonprofit and, and really dig into activism. Um, and, uh, and I, I went off and did two more masters after that. I know because how many, ma you never have enough. Why masters. not? You know, yeah, I mean, right. Like graduate degrees. I mean, I was very, very lucky. I should throw this in here. I wasn't like, uh, I, I was very lucky to have, to have gotten funding. Um, I won uh, a Rotary International Scholarship to, uh, ambassadorial scholarship, ambassadorial scholarship, excuse me, to, to go to South Africa. But I also got a world peace scholarship from the same organization, Rotary, to, um, and they, and I, I got two amazing degrees out of that. Otherwise the costs of tuition would be, you know, just something I wouldn't be able to afford. Um, after doing that, you know, I, I did some work in Sierra Leone and, and came back thinking, you know, here's my life. I'm going to be a lawyer. Um, and I couldn't really find the right space for me. Uh, and I, I, at this point had moved to Vancouver and couldn't really get work as a research lawyer and nothing was really panning out. Um, and so randomly friends from University of Alberta who had done uh, theater uh, were sort of segueing into film and uh, we bumped into, you know, we crossed paths and they said, Hey, didn't you do music? Like, wouldn't you like to help us with this film? And I was sort of like, yeah, why not? And it just so happened. This is another random thing. I had worked at computing network services at the University of Alberta. And I was kind of a nerd and loved Apple computers and, uh, you know, tech support was my jam. So it was really fun to like get paid to help people solve, you know, tech problems. 
And of course, what that honed is my ability to navigate the operating system and not feel intimidated by it. And this is a key thing of being a film composer in today's age. Nobody, okay, shouldn't say nobody, not a lot of people have time to sit there and write a notation by hand because someone would have to transcribe that and put it into the digital world for you. And since we don't have endless amounts of time and, and you know maybe money to have someone do that for you, you have to become familiar with the digital world and navigate uh, you know, the operating system, learn applications, problem solve, troubleshoot. Why is my, you know, outboard keyboard not working with my, you know, DAW? Well, you have to solve that problem or you have to hire someone. And since most of us are poor, <laughs> we start doing these, these you know, crazy uh, changes in our profession. You know, it, it really set me up to be in a good spot when, uh, lo and behold, after doing this work and, 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 working with Tim McCauley, who was a composer who, who um, allowed me to co-write with him on a PBS uh, documentary. I bumped into Michael Dana at, a, at a, you know, uh, a composer lecture. I literally ran there. I just found out about the event and, and, and then chatted with him. And we totally hit it off. And he had just let his assistant go and said, yeah, you want to come down to LA? You know, sure. But you know, I'm not going to guarantee you anything. Random. And I decided to follow up with him just crazy, leave everything in Vancouver, go down to LA with this guy I just met who, yeah, okay, he happens to be a very, you know, credible, famous Canadian composer, but, you know, it seemed very uh, much a long shot to go off and, and, and try this out. I had no real training as a composer assistant. Uh, I wasn't going to tell him that, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I knew that this would have to be a lot of learn on the job, um, solve problems, and, um, just work really, really hard. Um, now, remembering that I was a lawyer and there's a bit of ego that would go with the idea of, I've already earned my place in another profession. And now I am having to, one of my first tasks for Michael was to find him a parking spot. <laughs> go off and, you know, get, 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 find out what the, you know, my best parking spot in Hollywood is, you know, best deal, fine. You know what? I was like, I'm going to do this the best way I possibly can. So I went off and I talked to every single parking guy <laughs> in, the, in the vicinity, got the best deals. I think I made a spreadsheet. Um, I, you know, I was just like over the top nerdy. And I decided that every task has value. Every task has honor. I'm going to do whatever I'm asked to do the best I possibly can. And I think that actually served me really well, that perspective, because the truth is, you don't get to write music right away. And who would want to let me do that anyway? I mean, it's a terrible idea. I, what do I know what I'm doing? I don't, I, I, I haven't earned that. You know, I should be watching, observing, listening. That's how I would get my training. I didn't walk in there having scored six feature films. I walked in there having co-wrote, you know, a documentary for CBC. I, I said PBS earlier, I meant CBC. And it, it really wasn't enough, you know, to, to, to really, to earn me probably a composer assistant job, but I, I, I fell into it. I was lucky. And I think I just tried to make the best that I could of that opportunity. Opportunity, I think is the key word. That's the thing I was thinking the whole time. And I was on the edge of my seat. I was like, how did she get back to music? How did it happen? It seemed like it was, right. and it seemed yeah. like it was such a battle. Your body wouldn't take it, you know, and isn't that always the, the, artist narrative right like oh you've got to you've got to struggle and suffer in order to be successful 
if you want to, you know, like the movie Whiplash or something like that. Like you really have to suck, yeah, which right. is a strange thing in Whiplash because it's a jazz music movie, right? And I was like, isn't jazz more Lucy? Anyway, um, but, you know, it seems like you took advantage of opportunities that came up. You made good contacts and made good relations and you put in an honest effort. I like what you said about seeing the honor in all the jobs you do, no matter the job, because, yeah, you'd think for most lawyers going to like be a general assistant would, would be a bit humbling. But how did you go then from being assistant to, you know, starting to learn the, the trade, learn the craft and scoring pieces uh, or, or, or gigs for yourself? Right. So, um, you know, one of the, the, the huge upsides of, of working in Michael's studio was that, um, you know, people would approach him and he is one of those composers who, who is, um, you know, works um, very, um, what's the word, um, smaller scale in that he, he really focuses on the projects he has. And um, so, so he's saying no to projects quite a bit. And there was a project that came into the studio that looked like a great match for, for me to join him and co-compose on. And that was such a great opportunity. It was so kind of him to, to bring him, me on. You know, I, I learned so much in that process. Um, and I made a connection with, a with that director. Um, and, but, it, it, but it also opened some doors. It was called Pomegranates and Myrrh. It's actually the film that uh, was featured in Educated Reel um, uh, at the University of Alberta. And uh, it was, my, it was my, really my first um, big shot. You know, I got to go to Sundance um, to, because a film premiered there. It was a huge success. It was a really beautiful film. And, you know, so I, I got some opportunities to write. Uh, eventually I co-scored another film with Michael um, uh, for Deepa Mehta and Dilip Mehta. Um, and um, I really, you know, those sorts of credits, you know, hold a lot of weight. So I was very lucky in that sense that I got some opportunities working in the studio to, 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 to build my, my own credits. But then Michael actually ended up moving, deciding to move back to Canada. And I would have probably work, continued to work with him for decades. Uh, you know, it's like very comfortable when you, when, you, when you get to be in somebody else's studio. I shouldn't say that it's comfortable in the sense that it's easy, but it, but, you know, it, was, it, was, it was what was known to me. I wouldn't naturally have pushed my way out of the studio. Um, so it was really good for me because as much as I disliked the idea and a feeling that I wasn't ready, I kind of got kicked out of the nest and, uh, and I had made, I had gone to film festivals and made contacts um, there, either, uh, you know, various film festivals. And I started to build up contacts with directors and find out, you know, say yes to projects. I got offered projects and I started working on them myself and started to build up, you know, short films and a few feature films. And, you know, you, you build up your chops. And then uh, I got a great opportunity to be part of the Sundance Film Festival. Uh, they have a, they have a, different labs they used to anyways they just ended them but the composer labs um and uh it's like an incredible honor it's so many people apply and um I, you know I, I applied a couple times to get in and uh and I got accepted it's like one of six composers uh and it's this insane opportunity you know you're working with Harry Grigson Williams and Ed Shermer and uh, Christoph Beck you know just did Frozen no big deal um you know these are these are exceptional composers who take time to mentor you and uh you know you've given tasks and you, you know you're, you're to, to score little scenes from oh their films no you know problem <laughs> as 
to do. Uh, yeah, it was just really fun, um, but but um, really intimidating, but at the same time, such a validation. Because I think as a creative, mind you, it's not like I don't still doubt myself all the time. Um, but at that moment, it was really, really helpful to me to be uh, kind of told from the world, hey, what you're doing is maybe, you know, you're going down the right path. You have an interesting voice. You have something to say. Um, and so getting that sort of validation was really, really wonderful. And it also opened more doors. You know, other people heard about me, uh, directors, you know, I met at Sundance Film Festival again when I went back in 2017. Um, you know, I got to make connections with them. And so it really was this very organic, natural uh, development. And I think if anything, if I can take responsibility for any of it, it's just that I pursued things. At least I applied for the, you know, for, for the opportunities and I was open. Um, I was open to, um, to, to the opportunities. Um, I won't say that, you know, there weren't heartbreaks, there were disappointments, there weren't things I didn't, you know, I applied for and didn't get. That happened for sure. But it sure seemed like in my case, the universe was bringing me back to music. And I feel like the timing of which I did it was better for me because if I had taken on composition uh, at the tendonitis point in my life, um, first of all, I, I, I probably would have thought about composition in a very narrow way. And I would have never gotten, I don't imagine I would have gotten into uh, film or TV composing. Um, it just wasn't on my radar. I didn't even know it was a profession. Like I was completely clueless to this. Um, I think that's probably true of many people um, maybe not so much anymore because it is a field that you can study at university, but, um, it is a field, it is a profession and it is something that you can be successful in. Uh, it, it, you know, like, I think like any artistic profession, you better be compelled to do this thing. It is, it is so, um, what's the word? I think like any field, right? I mean, people talk about their passions and, and I know people say, oh, I wish I was like you and I had a passion from the very beginning. And I, 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 I understand that, but to be, to be fair, I was really torn. I, I, I really felt like I was a good fit for social justice work. And I also loved music, but that didn't mean I naturally knew exactly what I wanted to do. Um, I think when I was 15, I said, you know, I want to be a musician like my grandfather. Um, but I still, still didn't really know what that meant. You know, even when I went to work with Michael, I had no idea what being a composer especially a composer at his level, but I didn't have an idea of what being a film composer or a TV composer meant. And my idea was all like rainbows and unicorns. And it's like, you know, you're just like sitting there being enlightened <laughs> when, when the truth is, you know, it, it's just so much, you know, like any job, there's, there's a lot of things you're doing that maybe you don't always want to do. Um, you know, it's unlike fine art where you're, um, you know, the, the palette is open to you we're more like designers in that we have clients and we are, we are enabled to do our art, but within the confines of certain limits. That's the limits thing is what really fascinates me about being a composer for film and TV. And you were talking about that turnaround schedule for TV of like two weeks because creative work. I used to tell my students when I was teaching writing that writing isn't like digging a ditch where you can just go out and be like, well, if I do this for two hours, I'm going to get X amount of art done and uh, then it'll be over, right? It's not a thing you can measure, but uh, for, in your case, you know, you have tight deadlines. You have to get creative work done 
you know, within that time. How do you do that? Do you have to prioritize? Is it about scheduling? Is it about, um, I don't know, not overthinking things? What's the key to meeting those deadlines? No, I think it, again, within the context of writing, you know, you, you make a good point. Like, I think ideally it depends what your, uh, what your medium is. Like if you're writing a book, but even a book, right? We need, we need deadlines. I think as artists, like there's a point where you have to say it's good enough. And that's how you meet your deadlines. Like you've got a, if you're writing a book, you've got a publisher who's like, Hey, <laughs> we have to deliver this book or you have a feature film. You have a theatrical release date. And that really helps you because nobody has unlimited time or unlimited money. You have to get the job done. And it, honestly, sometimes that's not your, your friend when you're like, Oh, I can just, I've got a big funder and I can, I, the sky's the limit. I think that, that, for me, I think within the context of Indian classical music, the raga is your, you know, rag or raga is your limit. And some people might see that as confining. Oh, you have only six notes to work with? Yeah, but just listen to what they did with six notes. Unbelievable. Beautiful. Two hours of music? How did they come up with that? Because... The, you know, there's this idea of like the limits actually forcing you to find solutions, to find new ways of, of, of solving problems. So that's a really big way of talking about limits being valuable in general. But in terms of, is it hard? Yes. Oh my goodness. Two weeks to turn around like 22 minutes of music that is ready to go, that is TV ready, that is telling a story that has recorded live musicians that, um, you know, that has been score mixed. I mean, all that it's very difficult. It is, there's no question. I don't find it easy. And I don't know any composers who are like, oh yeah, writing for TV. <laughs> um, well, and certainly not animated TV because your, your audience is, um, <clears throat> is listening to stories in a different way. So you're forced to, not forced to, you're, you're, you're required to tell stories differently. So, um, you know, how do I do it? Um, uh, I, I'm usually pretty haphazard. There's lots of all-nighters. Um, I'm sure there's people who are a lot more, you know, disciplined. For example, one disciplined way of approaching it would be to say, I've got 22 minutes. Let's say I'm only writing 18 minutes. Okay, so I've got 18 minutes of music that I have to write. How many minutes of music do I have to be writing a day? So they approach it as in they're doing that many minutes of music a day. And you get good enough after a certain amount of time that when you see the scene, you know, you have a very good idea of what basic things need to be hit, what basic things, storytelling devices you can use. And if you're inside a season, you have a palette already. At the beginning of this particular show, there was no palette. It was brand new for Disney. They had no real sense of how to approach it because, because it was so vast and so exciting. And so there was a many different roads we could go down. And I think that um, you know, that's the hard part of coming up with that first concept, right? Like your, your palette, how, how, you know, your theater, you basically, you know, the instrumentation, all of that's the sort of approach. And, and it's not just me all in my head. It's me with, with many executives, uh, you know, with the showrunner, you know, we're all working It's a collaborative effort. So I have to make sure that I'm, I'm meeting everybody's, you know, hopes and requirements and notes. Um, so the, oh yeah, I didn't mention the notes. <laughs> Never mind the fact that you have to respond to notes. It's not like I just write music and then my showrunner is like, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> it's exactly what I had in my head. Great job. <laughs> You're done. Right? 
whoever has that type of client or, or, or situation. And it, actually, it's just as well that we don't, because who, who would think that they'd have all the, the, the cool story ideas? Like, it's so much better to get feedback. Yeah, that's, it's, I was going to ask you about process, because I am kind of interested in this, um, the difference between if you were a composer, just composing classical music in whatever or whatever kind of form, um, you wouldn't be necessarily trying to marry it to a different narrative, a different story. So how does it go? Is it for you, 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 you know, you watch the, the thing that you're doing music for, and then you figure out the beats or the moments and you write music for it? Is, do you get prompts from the showrunner and they're saying, okay, we want music here, here, and here? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, how does it normally go? Or is it different every time? Yeah. So for TV, um, I mean, for both TV and film, the, the, you know, the, the pro, if I should, I should say that sometimes you, you get the project ahead of time and you watch it by yourself. And so whether it's a feature film, you might get the film um, and, and you might get it with something called temp score, which is something that the editor or just the director themselves might have placed in, in moments because they're like, oh, I really, you know, uh, really like this because it speaks to me and I feel like this is working in this moment. And, um, you know, we talk about things like temp love where the director or, you know, might fall in love with a musical style in a moment. And that can be challenging if you want to get outside of that moment. But what's really helpful is them choosing the temp is an opportunity to have a conversation. So sometimes you see the film with that temp music. And sometimes you might request not to have it with the temp music at all, just completely dry and just listen to the sound effects and just the dialogue and, 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 and watch the movie clean. And then you can kind of have your own ideas and kind of think, oh, hey, what would I put here? What am I hearing in my head? So you have like a clean slate. Some, some composers prefer to do it that way. Um, but for, for TV, by the time you're getting it, um, and again, this is, I'm specifically talking about my experience. You know, usually you have some kind of temp in there and you're watching it oftentimes with the showrunner um, going through it in what is called a spotting session. Now you're going to have a spotting session. Once you've been hired, you're going to have a spotting session with the director or the showrunner um, because what they'll have an idea in their head about where they'd like to have music. And it becomes a conversation. Sometimes it just, it's obvious, like, yes, of course, that totally makes sense. But you you want to know where, where they feel music could belong. Some projects, you know, really want a lot of musical narrative. Some projects, you know, it, they want it to be very sparse. Um, others, it's a lot of song driven, um, you know, uh, it might be a song driven show. So there's only like a few moments for actual score, which is the background music. So, um, yeah, I mean, for, for animated TV, what I love about my, the people I work with is that they're 100% seeing the composer as a co-storyteller. It's not a situation where they're feeling like, um, you know, the composer is undermining their storytelling and, you know, taking away their legitimacy. Um, there's no struggle. There's no struggle there at all. There's a, it's a very much a friendly, um, like encouraging um, environment where they're like, yes, the music needs to be there. We need to create, we need to help the emotion because especially for animation, we have to be immersed somehow because you know it's not always enough just to see something and believe, you know when you watch Wall-E, I mean there wasn't much music like score, but you you had this lovely song that you're you know you're hearing all the time, and you you fall in love with this robot. You know to fall in love with a robot, you know there's there's a lot of um, 
you know, palettes and sounds and things that, that help, uh, you know, tell that story. Um, and so, yeah, I, 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 you know, I'm very lucky that, that in that sense for us, now that we're in season two, it's, it's super fast, you know, our spotting sessions, we have like about an hour, uh, we go through, uh, the episode, um, I take notes, uh, and then I, I go through and, and start, you know, looking at how many minutes of music that's going to be, which roughly it's about, you know, 18 to 20 minutes of music. How often would you say your training as a lawyer comes into play with your work as a composer? Does it happen? I think that my academic training, because I think I'm a brainy person, like maybe overly <laughs> everything. I mean, I really, my, my showrunner teases me about this all the time. He's like, you know, I was just going to leave it, but now you've like created this new level of work for yourself because I, I'm so excited about the concept, you know, and I, I just, I, 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 I get carried away. Um, so, but, but I do think that perhaps the analytical training, you know, for you, you were uh, speaking earlier um, off of when we, before we, we started this interview about like how you um, were trying to find meaning in this theater production. And, uh, you know, you're, you're, you know, thinking about narrative and story and making connections uh, you know, naturally came in, in into play. And same for me, I think that that is helpful. Um, yeah, I think it's really my, my, my love of learning, my love of researching, like I love deep diving into um, characters and musical styles, because this particular show uh, has different, you know, Indian festivals. And so, you know, you have to know like what Indian instruments might be part of the palette. Um, so some of that does come into you know, it definitely comes in. I'm also interested because, you know, when we talked uh, about your student life when you were a performer and you didn't want to go into composition, then you wouldn't have ever thought about being a composer then. How, what was it like then when you were first composing? Like, what were those early moments like when you were, you know, I don't even know what happens in putting notes on the on the paper or whatever. What was that like? And, and then to finally hear it, what was it like? You know, I will say my first, so that first feature, uh, or excuse me, short film, that student film that uh, my friend had approached me when I was living in Vancouver and he had moved there. Um, I didn't think I would feel the way I felt as I composed, as I, when I performed. There's something beautiful and blissful and something like you feel so alive and something just, it sounds so cheesy, but it's true. It's like, I, when I would improv, you know, when I revise and, and you start to create and you'd be hearing it in your head and then creating at the same time. And then you're, you're jam like, say you're playing live with someone else. And then they're, you know, that like sort of jazz experience where you're going back and forth. That's when I learned, like when I went to South, when I went to India and studied Indian classical music, I learned to improvise. And that's when I discovered, holy mackerel, there's this thing that you can do. It's called creating on the fly. And that's writing music. And that gave me sort of permission to, to start writing music later on. I think that was all connected. I had no idea that that would ever come back to me, but that, that trip, tendon, having tendonitis was a gift because I went to India and I, you know, again, I would have never considered studying Indian classical music had I not sort of hit a wall with Western classical music. The Indian classical music training enabled me to improvise, which is creating music. I'd never thought I could create music. And it kind of went in the back of my mind and then when I came back to composing later on, I was like, oh my God, this feels amazing. I, 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 I'm actually not sitting in front of an instrument, but I am, I'm writing notes and that same creation of notes is coming out in a different way. And I, 
when you feel something, I believe that other people might feel something. I think that's the guide. If you feel um, nervous, if you feel scared, if you feel um, tense, any sort of feeling, I trust that if I'm feeling it, it's going to resonate with an audience member. And or at least that's what I'm hoping. Um, but I do trust that that if I'm, you know, if, if I'm feeling joy and, and I'm writing this piece, um, it, it, it's going to come across that way. That's really interesting. And it all happened just randomly that someone approached you and was like, oh, hey, you do music, right? Yes. You do this? Imagine that had never happened. I would be pursuing uh, probably a library science. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was my next career. I was like, yeah, library science. So cool. I'm totally into it. Um, and I, I, I didn't go down that path. <laughs> it's amazing. It is amazing. And I think to your point about taking advantage of opportunities as they come up, and we hear that a lot, but I think for creatives especially, I mean... Um, and being able to say yes to things, not that you should say yes to everything, but recognizing when a good opportunity comes, even if it sometimes makes you uncomfortable, it's a good idea to say to say yes and give it a shot. It's interesting because I, I have actually had to say no more and it feels very wrong. And, and I and I have all this like FOMO and regret and and but it comes back to the same basic thing of trust of trusting that if an opportunity is meant for you, it will, it will work. And I think honestly, in our industry, there's really nothing else you can do. I mean, it's much worse for actors. I, I, I feel like they have got to be the bravest people in our industry um, because there are so many no's. There are so many no's and you have to really, I mean, honestly, you, you invest everything, you do your demo, you, you, you put everything out there and then you have to let it go. And, just walk away and then hope that maybe they'll call back to you and say, oh yeah, you're the composer we want to work with or you're the actor that's perfect for our, our feature. Um, but there are so many points. It's actually astonishing that work gets made in our industry at all. I'm in post. So by the time it comes to me, it's already been gone through so many hoops. You know, I see um, with my husband that just to get a project made, you know, and then maybe get it uh, like for a second season, it's astonishing what goes into it. So I feel like we are so lucky. I am so lucky um, to be working in this industry, um, and and it's just such a gift. I feel like if I if if nothing was to work out after this, I'd have felt felt so blessed that I was able to do music and and make kind of a living off of it, you know. And 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 um, yeah, I mean, actually, one crazy thing is that today, I, I just thought this was kind of funny that we we booked this, um, you know, a while ago, but um, uh, today I am going to be on a panel for UNESCO's World Conference on the Creative Economy. And I had wanted to be part of the UN, no, I'm not, I'm not part of the UN, but I mean, it's just so fun that there's like, I mean, I'm kind of adjacent, right? There's something there, there's some neat overlap that um, you know, it's kind of in this weird way. My profession now is 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 in, is 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 sort of informing people who are interested in studying the creative economy and how that can be a viable path, um, you know, and, and an interesting sustainable career path because you're you're working on ideas. Um, you know, it, it doesn't actually necessarily take resources to do. Um, but uh, anyway. I just thought that was a fun overlap that tonight that's happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you made it. You, <laughs> you, I did. It's over. I'm done. <laughs> I think a barrier for some people 
getting into creative jobs is fear, just absolute fear of putting your work out there. You talked about making music and the feeling of it, the emotion of it. And I think that's true mm -hmm. for a lot of people when they're making art of any sort. And then sure. to try to share that feeling yeah. with an audience, to have that feeling evaluated yes. is a difficult thing. How do you do it? Um, I, I, um, I don't have the time to think about it on this job, which is a gift, uh, because in my current job, I am working on the first Disney junior show, uh, that has a South Asian protagonist. It's an all South Asian cast. I feel very responsible. Uh, I feel like I'm representing my community and needing to make billions of people, <laughs> proud slash happy um and and so i try not to to think about that but but honestly i you i i i think you have to let go of of what other people think it's it's this balance though right because you have to also especially in my world you it's like you you when you're writing or when you're doing your create creation you have to focus on what's pleasing you the best and doing your task the best way you can to solve a problem or to you know, express yourself. And then if you're in my position where you get notes, you then have to let that go at whatever and, and be open to receiving the feedback because that's what makes you a great collaborator is that you're able to to see, oh, wow, there's, because there's always a different way of approaching our art, right? I mean, nothing is, it's all subjective. I mean, this is what's so great is that you, there's so many different ways of approaching um, those six notes, for example. How I would approach those six notes within the rag that I was talking about before might be very different how you would approach those six notes or your wife or, you know, a, a, like a, a jazz musician. And that's amazing. And, and, and then pushing yourself to see it from a different perspective, because that's how we grow. And I am so grateful that I have been pushed and given a lot of notes on this show, especially season one. Wow, that was that was tough. But you know, constantly re going back and saying, how can I do this better? How can I do this differently? How can I think outside the box? Like just constantly challenging yourself. Um, I guess not seeing the the judgments or the the viewpoints that people might have as necessarily bad. Um, but yeah, I mean, we all have feelings like, you know, depending on, especially with social media, I think that would be a hard place to put your art out. I'm lucky that I'm putting my art out in a place where the feedback I get is generally informed by, you know, narrative and, you know, but we still hear stories of people in the industry who, you know, get pretty harsh notes from people or might get, you know, um, biting, you know, uh, uh, insulting you know, even, uh, you know, comments from people in the industry and you just, you just have to do your job, you know, and just, and move forward. But then I, I am in a very particular kind of world. And, and also, um, it's not like I'm, you know, when I think of someone starting, when you're starting out, there's absolutely fear, but, um, isn't, isn't courage about, you know, doing it anyway. And, and, and honestly, what you have to lose is worse than whatever you think people might be thinking because your voice is important and it's important to have your voice out there. Uh, I think, I think we need more people, especially people of color, especially women who, who don't have 
a lot of role models who don't have a lot of people out there in the industry or in my field specifically as composing, you know, there's a lot of fear because you don't have anyone necessarily to have broken down maybe the barriers for you or to look at that maybe look like you. And so it's even more scary. <laughs> but but um, yeah, I just think if you're compelled to do an art form, it's also your job to share it with us because I want to hear it. You know, I want to see it. I want to see more amazing uh, works. So send it to me if you're worried. <laughs> <laughs> your email is going to get flooded now. I'm glad you I'm glad you brought up representation though because you know I googled before we started this famous film composers and if you look at the images it is uh they all look like me which is uh <laughs> and you know we interviewed uh, recently one one of our recent podcasts was uh Selwyn Jacob the film filmmaker um yes. black Canadian filmmaker and he talked yeah. about his experience in that and so I'm glad you brought that up here I don't know if you have more you wanted to add to it because you kind of hit it but I'm curious what what it's been like for you to enter this world and uh, just your thoughts on on being on on representation in film composing and or TV composing you know, it's funny when I transitioned um, unintentionally, because I think this is one of those situations where the career found me and I didn't actively go out and decide once my work at my post-conflict, you know, legal dreams weren't really, you know, coming like when 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 my legal career kind of hit a wall and I wasn't able to find work in that profession. I didn't say to myself, oh, what a great idea. I'm going to go back to music. You know, someone came to me and gave me this great opportunity to help him work on his film, uh, his short film. And, you know, I was I was excited because it was something so unusual and so different from what I had been doing for so long. And so in my journey towards film composing, I didn't realize how much the tables were stacked against me. And I wonder, had I known that, would I have approached it any differently? I'm not sure, but it's not something I actively knew that statistically was so uh, dire. Like now you see all the studios and networks have diversity, um, you know, inclusion as a priority. But 15 years ago, when I was sort of starting my path into film composing, that that wasn't the case. And so it was as I was in this profession, I started to realize, wow, there really aren't that many women. You know, there it's there really aren't that many people of color. Uh, the LGBTQ community isn't really highly, uh, you know, represented. You know, the underrepresented aspect of it was 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 something I didn't realize, but, um, and, and the statistics, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm someone who's working on a TV show an animated TV show, but I think I make up 2% of all women who write music for television. And that's a pretty staggeringly low number. Um, there are far, far more female composers working in the industry. So I think to be working, uh, as a woman, as a woman of color, um, it's pretty incredible. And I recognize how lucky I am to have made it, to have made it into that small, you know, opening that, that was there. But it also, it also feels like a responsibility um, that I take very seriously to try and encourage as many 
underrepresented composers and musicians and artists to follow their dreams, to follow their path, to follow their calling, because uh, we need more. And I think that that's, uh, that's really clear to me because the more diverse voices, whatever they are, that help, uh, that, that are part of these professions that don't have a number of us, the better it is for all of us. It makes richer stories. It makes interesting uh, journeys and adventures for all of us to enjoy. And, and I think that is a payoff for everyone. So it's not just about equity. It's not just about leveling the playing field. It's about, you know, making things that resonate in different ways. You know, we all are interested in those new stories, those new takes, and, and we get there by inviting more people to the table who don't get a chance to, to let their voices come through. So, um, so yeah, I'm really <laughs> like appreciative and, and, and now of recognizing how insane it was that I made it through, you know, this Canadian who, who, who didn't really know anything about film composing, who just happened to bump into somebody who happens to be, you know, an Oscar <laughs> winning composer who happened to give me a shot and it happened to work. I mean, all those things to fall into place. I couldn't have possibly have planned it. Um, it was just, you know, I was extremely lucky. I think that's really well said. And I think I do think sometimes you make your own luck. We have a lot of guests on who talk about how lucky they've been, but I think sometimes that's earned as well. Um, anyway, I think it's time for us to go on to the lightning round and it's brought to you by our affinity partner, TD Insurance. So these are all questions I ask every guest. You just answer them as they as they come to your head. The first one, have you ever been fired? So, yes, I have. And I think at the core of that question is, have you ever failed? And <laughs> I think, you know, the truth is, if you know, we, we as part of this journey, I think uh, when, when I did get fired as a film composer, um, the other composers around me kind of patted me on the back and said, well, welcome to the club, because it's kind of like a rite of passage. So um, at the time, I was mortified. Uh, and, and just, and it was, a, it was a really terrible thing that had happened. And then I realized, oh, you know, this is actually how you grow. You know, this is my first, you know, screw up <laughs> and, you know, in, in a kind of an obvious way. And then you, you pick yourself back up again and you, you're like, okay, I've done that. I've made through, I've, I can, I can get back up again. When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? So I think it changed quite a bit. Like there was a point where I think I wanted to be a nuclear physicist. Um, and then there was a point where I wanted to be a nurse. Um, at the core of it, it was always about wanting to make change or kind of be part of a positive change in the world. Um, and, but when I was 15, I had written a, a letter to my grandfather and said, I wanted to be a musician like him. Um, and so I think, you know, what was so funny though, is that by 17, I had full-blown tendonitis. And, and that really changed my whole perspective because for like two years, <laughs> I was really sure what I was gonna do. I was gonna be a musician. And then that sort of was taken away from me. Um, but it just goes to show you the thing you think you're going to do, you know, you never know how it's gonna turn out. It's, it's just this interesting path of how it comes back to you. I've met so few people who say, I knew all along I was going to be a doctor and then they're still a doctor. Um, I think the majority of us are people who we think we're going to do one thing. And then this amazing path takes us on some other journey. 
I feel like doctor might be one of those professions where people do plan it out from the start, you know? Like, I feel like there's a lot of doctors who are like, I That's want to true. be a doctor, and now I'm a doctor. Whereas I think, you're, you're otherwise, you're just totally right. Like, so many professions are just a winding road. I, this is a question that I'm really interested in. What's something that you wish people knew or understood about, you know, making music for TV? You know, it's that I didn't know what a film composer did um, or or was uh, until I until I started. Um, I think I think we're we're storytellers, and I think that's the thing I I learn more and more is is just how fabulous it is to be able to tell narrative with music. Um, but I I also am you know I've also learned what a tech heavy job this is because. More and more, it's not about sitting down, being inspired in a corner with, you know, your your paper and your manuscript and you're just writing notes. I mean, that that's incredible. I don't know how many people have, you know, do that maybe beyond John Williams. Um, you're, you're often working with so much technology. Um, but what do I wish they knew? Yeah, I guess that, that um, you know, that, that we're storytellers. What advice do you have for someone who feels like they're in a career rut, someone who feels like they're stuck? So it just so happens I was talking with my good friend Omar Yakub, who is an incredible human and, and a phenomenal U of A grad who, who went on a very un, you know unconventional path to get to where he is today. And he and I were talking about that concept of, you know, follow your passion, follow your dream, but that it's so, so kind of lofty and difficult to access when you're when you're in a rut, you know, and you're trying to figure out like what what is my dream? If you weren't that person who thought they knew what they were going to do at three or four or five that they're going to be a doctor, you know, then how do you find your passion? How do you find your dream? And and he actually uh, forwarded me to an article that I read that everybody who's listening to this podcast should 100% read. Um, it's um, in the Harvard Business Review. And it's called How to Let Your Purpose Find You. And it's by a guy named Omar Huck. And it's incredible. It, you know, I think in its summary, it really talks about those really lofty big things about like uh, of finding meaning and purpose. But taking it back to my friend Omar, he really said about following your curiosity. And I think when you're stuck, you still know what interests you. Like for me, when I hit a wall, I go back and I, I think of music, the music that resonated with me, the music that I still think in my head. I go back and listen to it. And then I remember, oh, yeah, that's why I wanted to do this. It's, it's, what, it's what stirs that emotion, that vulnerability, that beauty, the thing, the passion, the thing you care about. And I think following what makes you excited or interested helps get you to the core of what it is that you dream about, what, what your, you know, what your purpose quote unquote is. Um, so I think for that person who's, who's kind of in a rut, um, you know, to, I think just to continue to push yourself to follow what, what you're curious about. What is your favorite thing about your job? I mean, really the, <laughs> The, the goal of, of making <clears throat> music for a living was not something I ever thought, I, you know, I could achieve. Um, so working with filmmakers, especially those who are making 
projects with a purpose, um, you know, that are that are compelled to 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 write interesting stories. I think to be part of that process, to be a collaborator in that, um, you know, in that project, <laughs> it's it's a hugely satisfying <clears throat> part of the process of just being able to to look at you know visuals and storytelling and be part of that process. So the collaboration, the the <coughs> the you know the constant um, challenges that come up. I mean, strangely, that is also what I love about my job. It's constantly changing. You know, there's different genres. There's new stories. There's there's a new chapter that we have to score now. Um, but yeah, I just love all of that. The 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 just the part of the process of making music for a living. Uh, it sounds super corny, but um, I, I do. I, I love that of, of scoring emotions and and um, and helping to 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 move moments forward or 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 for us to, you know, kind of sit in moments and watch a beautiful visual. It's it's really incredible and fun. I think the question is set up to give a corny answer. I think it's designed. <laughs> you fell okay. into the trap. Yes, I succeeded or something. You succeeded. <laughs> <laughs> if you could go back in time and talk to yourself just after you graduated, what advice would you give yourself? I think, you know, I really do think that, you know, I'm here because of all the mistakes, um, of all all the faltering, all the seemingly dead ends, um, as much as I'm here for all the smart decisions I made, uh, you know, if we can say that, um, or, or luckily meeting nice people who helped me along the way or guided me or mentored me. So I think it would be to continue to say yes, to, to continue to lean into what makes me, you know, excited and curious um, and, uh, and to trust that I have something to say. Um, you know, that's, that's what I would say to anybody else um, who is kind of wondering whether they're making the right decisions, just to continue to lean into saying yes and believing in yourself. Well, thank you so much for saying yes to this podcast. You've been a great guest. It's been great talking to you. And thanks so much for sharing your career story. Oh, thank you so much, Matt, for asking me. It's been a joy. It's been really fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of What the Job, and a special thanks to our guest, Emrith Avaz, for talking to us about her career. And as always, a reminder that the best place for alumni to connect with other alumni about jobs, mentorship, or volunteer opportunities is the online platform Switchboard. It's free, and you can try it out today at uab.ca slash sboard. It's a great tool no matter where you are in your career journey. That's it for this episode. For What the Job, I'm Matt Ray. See you next time.